What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show where I see things a little differently. And this week, I'm conflicted this week because as I record this, it's Saturday morning. And I really want, and it's not that I necessarily want to review uh, Hell in a Cell because I think it's going to be a great thing. I really want to give my thoughts on the aftermath of the destruction of Jey Uso. I really want to. But... I don't know if I'm, I, I don't know. So we will, I will see if I, if I if I will do a review and if I do a review I don't know. I'll see how I feel after I'm done recording this. This this show may be a little bit longer cuz we have some new Japan to talk about. We have Raw, we have SmackDown, NXT, AEW and um, a new segment. I'm going to try it out this week and I'll try to see We'll figure it all out, but I think it could be a new segment, and for good reason. But um, let's get with some news and notes first. First of all, Bailey has the most combined days as women's champ in the modern era. First of all, it's like uh, Bruno San Martino's WWE Championships. If Hogan wasn't beating it, no one is beating it. He's so far ahead. Now, with me saying that, the Fabulous Moolah has even more days. Uh, most you new wrestling fans know um, she has over 10,000 days as a women's champion. As we all know, she had a stranglehold on that championship. So, that record will never be touched. Um, I love statistics and just because, one, they're so misleading sometimes. And two... You kind of can see just patterns. Um, so I love stats. I really do. Like, I think they can be overkill. And like I said, you can, I don't think you should ever take them and use them as a weapon, you know, because once again, they could be misleading. But I think that's what I like most about them is like when you dig deeper into them, you're like, huh. And why, the reason why I bring this up is listen to this. Listen to this. Bailey, with her six reigns as either. Women's champion on Raw, women's champion on SmackDown or NXT has 950 days as I record this, right? Asuka, with just five reigns between her NXT, women's, Raw, women's, SmackDown, has 940 days. And if things go the way I think they're going to go for Bailey on Sunday, tomorrow, uh, Asuka is going to then beat that. We'll get this. Charlotte. With her 12 reigns between NXT, SmackDown, Raw, has just 948 combined days. I would have thought it would be a lot longer for Charlotte. I do know she's had two short tower reigns. I think, I think she's been cashed in on twice. And very few people get, get cashed in on twice. Like When you get cashed in on twice, you're on John Cena's level. But once again, it shows the dominance that Cena's had with that championship. And what Charlotte has, which we already knew, but for some reason I, I, I would have assumed Charlotte had over that mean reigns. But what's really impressive to me is Asuka should only have been doing this in four reigns. If they were, I get they took the belt off her for the two women power trip storyline, uh, so I'm not mad about that. But like once again, you just kind of see where oh, if they would have done this, this would have been 
But still, for her to have that Oscar, I'm talking about that many title, that many days with five reigns is really impressive. Well, obviously, she never lost the NXT Championship. She left NXT undefeated. Um, but I'm obviously thinking Bailey's gonna lose the belt tomorrow. So her reign's probably gonna end like I think in 952 or something like that. And Oscar's not even on the show tomorrow as I record this. Um, as I record this, there's only five matches recorded. I'm just gonna assume Oscar's gonna keep the belt until December at least. And when she, I mean, she's gonna end up having the most reigns as a combined champion. But we all know when Charlotte Flair comes back, that crown will be taken again. Um, I, Twelve reigns though, Jesus Christ. That means she's only four away from uh, MSA and Flares. I'm saying WWE's most title reigns combined. That's a, and dude, she's just if we're being honest, she's just hitting her prime. Like she does, she has at least three to four more years left. And usually, women tend to leave the bit. Well, I would say the most successful women tend to leave the business and find other things to do. I would say Trish Stratus, Lita. As an example, they tend to leave on their own terms. Stacey Keebler, Tori Wilson. Um, obviously, none of them are the caliber of her, with the exception of maybe Trish. Uh, but Charlotte's are really athletic. Um, but Charlotte has at least three or four more years. And there's so many more matches you can do with her. I know there was rumors about how Vince McMahon wants uh, Becky Lynch to have her baby in December and then come back and be ready for a WrestleMania main event with Ronda Rousey. I don't see that happening. That seems like a that, that, mm, look here. She's getting paid a ton of money to probably stay home and work out. But I would think she wants a little time home with her kid, boy, girl, whatever it's going to be. Um, but there's so many marquee matches you can have. Um, don't Charlotte kind of ran through some of her matches um, when she did her NXT run. And she kind of beat everybody. But I do think there's still a run with Charlotte where she needs to lose to everybody, personally. Um, she needs to lose to uh, Bianca Belair. She needs to lose to Rhea Ripley, in my opinion. Um, but even with that being said, she's going to she's gonna destroy a 16 championship record. I mean, I think we all know. As soon as she comes back, she's winning that belt. Um, but I love stats like this because, once again, it's so misleading when you see the reins. But at the same time, it's so just like, huh. That's that's crazy. I don't know. That, that's just that's just my opinion on stuff like that. Uh, sticking with WWE, uh, we finally understand why. And and I think I I, I didn't say this last week um, because um, I, I just didn't I didn't write it down in my notes and I forgot about it. But I knew about it though. Um, but now it's news. Now uh, now it's getting out there. But uh, remember, NXT is no longer at full sale. So a lot of people wonder why they were doing like a mini a Thunderdome. The reason why is because they want they are gonna start introducing fans, I believe, next month, uh, WWE is to their uh, to their shows, and Full Sail just didn't want to risk their their students getting sick. And my sister actually used to go to Full Sail. Um, she loves that school, and um, I and she and she says for it's still a campus though, you know. So I can see why Full Sail would not want really to have anything to do with it right now. I don't think, I don't think uh, there's any problems between Full Sail and WWE, but I think it's like, well, you guys are, are an attraction. We want you to come. We want you to be here. But as of right now, so many places are hotspots in Florida. We just don't want to become a hotspot, which is fair. You know, to me, that's fair. So, um, 
Uh, I, I do think uh, once once 2021 hits and things get better, I know some people are very much like uh, things will not get better. Um, I'm believing they will get better. Um, and 2021, I, I do hope they mend that because to me that makes NXT even more special. And to me, I don't think any of those cheers need to be manufactured. Uh, Full Sail loves their NXT, so um, we know about that. Also, this is an interesting note here. So the Orange County Department of Health has put together a strike team, and they're investigating hot spots. Um, and you know what? It's funny because one of my jobs actually got shut down due to another strike team July 31st of this year. So these things are real. And, like, they're investigating, like, I think 20 places, but three of them are where WWE performs. Now, mind you, where all where WWE performs, they're the only thing going on. Like, there's been no basketball center, uh, basketball games at the Amway Center. It's been all WWE, um, Full Sail, and uh, freaking, uh, uh, where else is it? Performance Center. Um, all of them are being investigated. Now, these things are serious. Like, my my job has reopened since, but like these strike teams are real. I remember uh, when strike team strike strike team excuse me came uh, uh, July thirty first. Uh, some one of my coworkers was talking to uh, one of the guys on the strike team, and he was like, and this mind you, this is at seven o'clock at night. They were there till like eight, right? Shutting us down. And, and by the way, we had no COVID outbreak, nothing. It just was a bunch of BS. That's a story for another day. Um, they said they had, this is 8 o'clock now, they said they had 20 more places to go altogether. They were hitting 50 places. So these, these guys are hitting 20 places. Now, what makes this even more interesting to me is the fact that internally, from what Meltzer was reported, Dave Meltzer, take it for what's worth, I tend to think it's funny how his word's not golden because he's been screwed over a couple times and listening to the wrong people that have just set him up, I think, for kicks and giggles. But... Uh, for the most part, he's been on point. He's broken some news. People still respect him. But I think this is interesting that WWE believes that some, uh, internally, that some WWE trainees, NXT, NXT talents, have uh, gone and blown the whistle to, this, 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 to the health department in Orange County in Florida. They truly believe it's a lot of them. That's the reason they're getting it. And I would think... Can they be wrong? Who else would tell them that they're breaking protocols and people are not, you know, wearing masks and stuff like that? The same way, I think, was it? Wasn't it like the Las Vegas Raiders this week, over the last several weeks, have been getting caught up in uh, certain uh, misfires and now they're under investigation because apparently one player wasn't wearing his tracker or whatever to bleep. Like, to me, this is, to me, I would think it can only be someone blowing the whistle. Now, why do they only think it's only NXT towns? Give me one second to drink some water. That's the stuff. Um, I don't know. To me, I find it so fascinating because I'm kind of like, huh, why just NXT talent? Why wouldn't it be a WWE talent? We've already, we've already had Kevin Owens ready to walk out and Miss McMahon having to make him stay, you know, Oh, not, he didn't make him stay. He asked him, like, what, what can I do to get you to stay? You know? Um, but that's very fascinating to me. But if they don't blow the whistle, who else is going to blow the whistle? And obviously, here's the thing also. 
how you do it without losing your job. Oh, oh, that's very fascinating to me. I think it's um very interesting, very interesting. So, but anyways, uh, if they're finally in some trouble, man, they, they I know they have some some pull in the state of Florida. So do I think they're gonna shut down? Probably not because of how much how much pull they have. Remember, they were deemed essential. <laughs> when everything else was shut down, they were deemed essential. So they clearly have uh, the hand of God as their as their backup. But if push comes to shove and they need to be shut down, look here, everything's political. <laughs> everything's political. So I don't see why uh, they will be absolved from that if it came down to that. But I, I, I do wonder if we're going to see releases from this. If someone's found to be the one who did this um i do wonder what's going to happen with that and and i'm gonna be i think we should all look for in case there is some releases in the next month or two because around this time they don't release anybody right after wrestlemania they release people and to me next year i don't think you will see any releases from wwe especially now that i think they're gonna start introducing fans at survivor series personally um, I mean, like real fans, not like friends of family and stuff like that, where it might be one or two fans. And all, you know, I think Survivor Series they're gonna start introducing real fans, and in order to get that re- revenue back, because you look at certain states like Florida is, is allowing full capacity. I think I just, I just saw a note where the Baltimore governor is allowing Baltimore Ravens fans 100% capacity at the stadium. Uh, I, I believe. Washington D.C. The, the Washington Redskins or wherever they're called, Washington racist racial slurs name. Um, I believe they're allowed to have three thousand fans. So, thing people they're gonna want that revenue, and why not bring as many people as you can back to sell your merchandise and uh, whatever else you're gonna sell. I mean, to be honest, if, if WWE was smart, they might need to need to go the indie route, in my opinion. And like, let's say if you only have. If they're only comfortable with having 3,000 fans, right? Use that number. Why not do meet and greets like ROH does? Have people come in an hour before the show or hour and a half before the show, usually an hour and a half before the show, and doesn't have to be your top guys. You know, I think ROH, the, the, the times I've gone to ROH shows has been top guys, um, uh, but usually it's it's a mix of whoever, you know? Uh, this time you didn't see Dalton Castle. Next time you will see Dalton Castle and Jay Lethal. But before then, it might have been the Briscoes. Whatever, you know. Um, but to me, this is interesting. I don't think we're going to see any releases because I think they're going to bring as many fans back as they can. And uh, they're going to want to get that revenue from the merchandise and stuff like that. Because some people just don't feel comfortable buying online. Like me, I hate buying online. I like to touch the fabric, touch whatever I'm buying, and actually do it. If I will buy online, it's because like I bought um, a Fiend action figure online. Well, once I bought the Fiend action figure online, I saw... I've only seen the Fiend action figure in stores twice. And the, and the first time I saw it, I still got... I, I have two... Ver, I have uh, Not two versions. I have two uh, Fiend action figures, but one's in the box. And the reason I ended up buying the one was I said, you know what? I want to open it. I want Because it, it's, it's very detailed. It's probably the first wrestling figure for me. And I would say, in general, because I'm a collector... So I would say in general, the, the Fiend is the first figure in, and this is tough because I've been more collecting Marvel Legends and DC Comics or comic book figures in general, 
the last several years, and I kind of backed off from WWE because they were kind of just flooding the market with the same characters. But in my opinion, and I would love to have a collector on one day to, and to maybe we could verify this for me. But in my opinion, the Fiend action figure was the first one in years that was off the rails famous. Like you'll see, it, you'll see the wave that it's in, but you won't see that figure uh, in years. And then, of course, a couple months later, AEW drops their action figures, and you can't find those MFers. Um, but I mean, like, that's just that part of the game. But anyways, like I was saying, I I, I just think you, it doesn't have to be your top guys, but it can be. You can randomly have the Fiend at, at show, you know, signing stuff. Taking pictures, whatever. I know you don't want that. It might kill a mystique or whatever. But my best, my point is, you can do that. But I'm interested because I don't think you're gonna see any releases. But if we see releases, I wonder if this is gonna be the reason. I wonder if they would have deemed these people to be the the the, the, the ones that are the culprits. Air quotes. I'm doing air quotes. You guys can't see me. Um, as to why uh, they've been getting investigated. So. That's interesting to me. I, I think that's fascinating, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't say they're wrong. You to be safe, right? This thing, this, this thing just rose. I know some people got mad because they're like, "How come the U.S. can't get it together?" But Europe just, Europe just had a, everywhere around the world it just went up. But it's because it's cold weather right now, and people just need to now adjust to the cold weather being the factor. So, anyways, I think that stuff is interesting. One last note. Before we get into some New Japan, Eric Bischoff, and I don't listen to a show. As a matter of fact, hearing him and Dave Meltzer talk is really rough, dude. Like, I just can't do it personally. Like, I think Dave Meltzer, for as much as Dave Meltzer, I, 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 it feels like he's constantly trying to get his thoughts together with Dave Meltzer. Um, while Eric Bischoff just sounds like he's going full, <laughs> full crap. And that's good. I, maybe I need to give a show another try. Um, I only listened to a show one time when he was defending himself against Jericho. Um, but I think that's the other thing also. At least with Bruce Pritchard's show, even though he's on he's on defensive sometimes, it's not all the time. It's him it's him at least saying, Hey, this this is what I did. Sometimes he owns that as bad stuff. I really wish he he would own that Booker T thing was racist. Um, but he, he never will. But um it just I don't know, Eric Bishop just sounds like he's trying to make up stuff. And once again, we've had so many wrestlers come on and say the same story, and his story has been different a lot of times. So it's like, all right, these people still like you. These people are like, a lot of people are friends with you, dude. Like, why would they just lie on you and make each other look bad? You know, it, it, it just, it's to me, it just it's, it's interesting, you know. But Eric Bischoff in his uh, podcast said that he believes NXT is not as good as TNA at TNA's peak. Now, when he says TNA's peak, he can't be talking about when him and Hogan was there, because that was nowhere near their peak. Like to me, I do think, and I, I, I'm gonna be fair here. Um, I do think the two things I appreciate they did when they were um, over TNA, right? Hogan and Bischoff. I love the fact that they gave James Storm and Bobby Roode their world title shots. I love that James Storm won the world title after all those years, only for Bobby Roode to turn heel on his best friend. And when the when the bell, I I love that story arc, both story story arcs. Me being a huge fan of Bobby Roode and James Storm, and 
And just seeing how it un- unfolded, uh, it made me as a fan, oh, he won it finally, James Storm. But then you you saw what was about to happen. You just saw it. And you're like, oh, he's going to so be jealous. The next thing you know, boom. And he went on a pretty lengthy run with that championship by Bobby Roode did. Um, I did appreciate that. And I also appreciate Eric them, them trying to make Eric Young a serious wrestler. And since then, he's like he's currently Impact's world champion. Now, I know some people like try to say Impact and TNA are two different things. To me, the line, from what I when I look at things, and I could be wrong here. Now, a TNA fan can call me out on this. I'm okay with being wrong, uh, or Impact fan. I was doing my research on this, and Impact brought over the lineage of TNA. So I'm assuming it's the same thing, just different name. Like to me, WCW. I thought was always different from the NWA, the lineage. And I think that's proven because if you look at the most decorated superstar, we'll go with that, in WCW history, when you look at it, it's Booker T. Just because Booker T has 21 championship reigns, I believe, or, yeah, 21, 22 championship reigns. He has the most championship reigns in WCW history. He was never in NWA. So depending on who you ask, if it feels like WWE does not count the NWA's lineage. Which makes no sense because that means Ric Flair wouldn't have 16 world title reigns in their lineage. So that's where it's confusing at. But when I was looking at my research, it seems like Impact and TNA have the same lineage. Um, so Eric Young is a two-time world champion. So I'm just going to go with that for right now. And then if someone corrects me, I'm completely okay with being corrected and looking somewhere else for that. But anyways, the point is, if Bischoff is talking about, like, he thinks that was their peak, I completely disagree, and NXT's better. But, but, if he's talking about 2009 or 2005, I completely agree. To me, 2005 was the rise of the X Division. I did the match of the month before when I was, this show was Wild Repent, I'm going to do it again. On some of your platforms, it's still called Wild Repent, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> um, but, um, dude, that was, to me, the rise of the X Division, even though I watched, I watched, the, I'm, I think I'm probably one of the few that watched the very first TNA Impact, oh, excuse me, TNA NWA show when they were like, I think it was weekly pay-per-views, which was like 10 bucks at the time, I think. 10, 20 bucks, something like that. Um, and I watched them for a good four months. And then eventually it was like, all right, I'm not going to pay for this every week or whatever. And then they ended up getting t- television or whatever. Um, and to me, their first year on TV, it was, the, the to me, the, you know what the main event scene reminded me of? It reminded me of WCW late 90s. Where the main event scene was kind of all right. You had a bunch of people you knew, but like, um, you knew them, and they had some decent matches, even good matches. But it was like, damn, it feels like the old guard. And then you had this, this bottom third. You had Christopher Danielson, the Fallen Angel. You had AJ Styles. You had, uh, I don't know if Shark Boy was there yet. But I mean, you had these other people that was kind of like coming up, some old Joe. And I'm, and once again, I'm a huge fan of Joe. Met him, not to meet him, I uh, was introduced to him at ROH where he had the incredible, how 
arguably he had the greatest run in ROH history. Now, Jay Lethal, <laughs> to me, is up there as well, as far as a single run, because Jay Lethal's done so many things. Um, but to me, Samoa Joe just did so many things in ROH. Anyways, um, that was to me the rise of the X Division, where they were, those guys just stole the show, and they 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 took their respect. And that unbreakable three-way is still the greatest match in TNA history. Um, and so, if, and like I said, if you're counting NWA, I mean, uh, Impact, to me, is still the greatest match in that. They've had some good matches, great matches since, but that three-way, my goodness, was... I st- that, to me, is the greatest triple threat match of all time. And the only match I would put up with it is that WrestleMania 20 triple threat match with Benoit, uh, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. But, yeah, NXT is not topping to me in 2005, that one. And, and once again, even with that being said, like I said, I, I just told you that my, the only flaw to me was the 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 main event seemed, seemed kind of the same. But that unbreakable three-way took all three of those guys to the top. Uh, the only person that didn't win a world championship out of that was, was Christopher Daniels. But he didn't win a world championship out of that in TNA. Uh, he eventually, as we all know, won the... ROH World Heavyweight Championship, um, but uh, then 2009 was to me the rise of Samoa Joe and the rise of a new main event scene. Because 2009 comes into play now, and you have Kurt Angle dominating, and you just have a bunch of TNA originals. And by this time, AJ Styles had already won the World Championship a couple times. Um, but to me, Samoa, that feud between Samoa Joe and, a, and, uh, Kurt Angle, <sighs> off the charts, man, off the charts, and then finally pulling the trigger. Think about this. Samoa Joe had an undefeated streak for like a year and a half. I can't remember the first person that beat him. I think it was Christian was the first. No, it wasn't. No. He, I think he beat Christian for the first time. Because Christian had an undefeated streak of like a year and a half as well. I can't remember who beat. I think it was Kurt. I think it was Kurt Angle who took his undefeated streak. To be, to be perfectly honest, because I think by time, yeah, it had to be Kurt Angle, because because Joe was on a roll and undefeated. He I mean he might have lost matches, air quotes, but like it wasn't. He was never pinned or submitted in those matches, so it didn't actually count, air quotes. I'm doing air quotes, um, but I, I think it had to be Kurt Angle who took his undefeated streak. But to me, that was kind of like a, we're pushing Kurt Angle to the top. He's going to win all the belts. Blah, 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 right? This was a blood feud. They beat the hell out of each other. Matter of fact, I mean, I already had the match of the month planned out for uh, freaking uh, next month, November. I might do uh, that that final match with TNA. Finally pull the trigger. Because I will actually, I may do that because I, well, because I would love to know the backstory. I never actually knew the backstory of why they decided to pull the trigger there. I don't know who was booking at the time. I just remember I was still in the TNA until about 2010, 20, oh, no, it had to be 2011. Whenever Hogan and Bischoff took over is when I was like, yeah, I'm not watching this anymore. (laughs) And I might have watched one or two things when I got notified of it. You know, someone told me, hey, man, boom, 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 this is going on. Uh, but I was a fan until they took over. Um, so anyways, to me, if Bischoff's talking about one of those two years at their peak, then cool. If he's saying him and Hogan's peak was TNA, yeah, man, he's full of crap. 
and and I would love to know. And 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 what I may actually do this week is actually listen to that podcast to see if I can understand what he was trying to say and what get some clarity. Because I know a lot of people are mad about it, but he he's right. If it's certain things, if he's saying his his TNA tenor was like full peak, yeah, he's full of crap. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that. So. It depends on what you're saying, but I may listen to that podcast now just to actually try to understand uh, where he was coming from with that. As far as like if he was, if he was trying to say him and Hogan's tenure, uh, the peak of TNA, which is hilarious. Anyways, let's get, let's get some new New Japan news. So for you guys who have not watched the G1 Climax, uh, still uh, still one of the best tournaments around, uh, if not the best tournament, some people will say. I don't think WWE does too many tournaments anymore though. TNA currently, uh, t- excuse me, TNA, Ooh, I'm sorry, AEW currently has a tournament going on right now, which we'll get to that later. Um, Kota Obushi, for the second year in a row, has won the G1 Climax. Um, this is the time. Now, now that he's signed a long-term contract, he's, he's, he's locked in. He finally signed a contract earlier this year or late last year, whenever it was. Kota Obushi is locked in. Now is the time. Some people say, well, how come he doesn't win championships? and Because he never signs a contract. Plain and simple. He never signs a contract. This is his first time signing a long-term deal. Why he did that? Don't know. I'm going to assume they offered him so much money that he said, you know what? I don't need to travel anymore. I could probably travel if I want to, but I don't need to. And then imagine if AEW and New Japan sparked that relationship. Oh, my God. The stories they could tell. Um, but now is the time. I'm calling my shot three months ahead, but it's not really calling your shot when it's just guaranteed. I would be stunned. And I know I shouldn't say that, but I just would be if they do not take that IWGP heavyweight title and put that around his waist. I just don't think you haven't won it two years in a row to not do that. They did it to, let's say, hey, go to Bush. Now, and I honestly think he would be in it for a long run. I just don't see how you can't make him go for a long run. I don't think it would be Okada-style run. But I could see it being a year. I could see him going coast-to-coast, coast, winning the belt at Wrestle Kingdom next year, January 2021, and losing it in January 2020. Um, and once again, New Japan will have uh, Wrestle Kingdom two nights in a row again. Uh, but now is the time, in my opinion. So, um I just think that's probably best, but that's my opinion. Uh, here's my thing. If you can't afford uh, the New Japan Pro subscription, just just go on their YouTube and subscribe. They don't put full matches up all the time, but sometimes they will surprise you and they will do it. Um, I have a subscription, so I'm able to watch it, but I still know, I still sometimes will see a YouTube channel and they'll have stuff on there from years ago. I'm like, oh wow, they have the full matchup, you know. So you'll be able to see some stuff. So just enjoy. But I, there's no way they don't put that belt on him. Now's the time. Um, but yeah, um, G1. I think it was a great tournament this year. Um, not obviously, not every match was great, but to me, uh, very unique matches and different. And to have Kota Ibushi win it for two years in a row, I just don't think you can. I see that as like Shawn Michaels winning the Royal Rumble back to back. One of those years he has to win the world title, right? The first year he didn't. He lost at WrestleMania 11 to Diesel. WrestleMania 12 coming up. He has to. Why well, haven't won two years in a row? 
So that's just my opinion. Uh, let's hit some AEW news first. And here's where I was talking about a new segment. I was telling Jonathan Esther, I could probably start a new segment if I really did some research on the most divisive thing of the week. My God, was it divisive? Was it hated? And the sad thing about it is, you know what the sad thing is? Everyone says now, I've noticed, everyone says, oh, if it's wrestling and someone doesn't like something, Jim Cornette's not going to like this. Think about how sad that is. And so I actually did some research on this, right? And we, you guys all know what I'm talking about. It was a dinner lab, <laughs> the dinner with Chris Jericho and MJF, which turned into a musical. Let me tell you the quick story about this, right? First of all, I didn't know this happened. I didn't watch the show live. I was doing homework. And all of a sudden, I look at my phone, and Jonathan Esther mentions me something, and it's a YouTube clip. And so I'm sitting there, and I watch it, you know. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm just, I was in utter shock and amazement. Cause I, cause I remember like, it was like, I think with MJF they started singing first, and I was like, what, what, what's, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? Then Jericho starts singing. I looked over to him. I was like, what's, what's happening right now? And I was so like, normally like when those things happen, I cut my phone off. I'm like, all right, I need to mentally prepare for this. I couldn't move my, I couldn't move my finger. I couldn't move my face. Nothing. I was stuck. And I was just like, what's happening right now? And why am I still watching this? And I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I think it's different. You can't say, you can't be mad and say, we want something different from wrestling. You get something different and you don't like it. We can't all have just a straight studio. I'm going to talk to you. You're going to tell me how much you hate somebody. Can, everything can't be NWA right now. You know what I'm saying? The studio shows old school. It's got to be different. It can't just be boom, 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 wrestling, 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 wrestling. Some of this stuff is psychology. I don't know what in the blue hell they're building to with this MJF and Jericho thing. Supposedly next Wednesday is a town hall debate, and they're going to decide if MJF should get in. I don't think MJF needs the inner circle. I'm hoping it's leading towards a match between him and Jericho. Why would they wrestle? I have no clue. But I don't I don't know. I truly do not know what this is leading up to. I've had several people ask me, what do you think this is leading to? I have no freaking idea. No idea whatsoever. But for kicks and giggles, I went to Jim Cornette's Twitter page the very next day. And he refused to say MJF's name. I was like, well, that's hashtag petty. And then I just looked at the comments. Anyone that knows me will tell you I never do this unless I'm looking for a good laugh. Boy, oh boy. Did I get that? Um, he, they've ruined him. They've ruined MJF like I knew they would. AEW can't be trusted. Then I would follow. I wouldn't follow, but I would click on the, the person's uh, profile. They're saying the same thing about WWE. It's like, so hold on a second. Why still watch wrestling? Like, like why are you like, why even do this to yourself? <laughs> it feels like this is torture for you. But clearly the most divisive thing of the week was this thing. I personally enjoyed it. I'm not even into musicals. I've been in one musical my entire life. I will keep that nameless who that was. Uh, uh, <laughs> and I thought it was good. But I don't, I don't go out of my way and say, huh, Hamilton's having uh, a musical this weekend, dear. Let's get the tea and crumpets and put our pinkies up. I don't. I, I, I don't. Um, but I enjoyed it because I thought, because one, it came out of nowhere. And here's the thing also that's clear. 
I don't follow many people on social media that I follow people on social media that are into wrestling, you know, um, but I don't have a Facebook. Um, I only use my Twitter for stuff like research because it's fast. Um, and my Instagram just doesn't have, they have the fandom on there, but it's not like the crazy fandom of Twitter or Facebook, if that makes sense. So, so for me not to know this went on, I was pleasantly surprised. I liked it, you know, um, I liked it. I just think it's different. I think that's why you put Jericho in AEW. You do stuff like that. I don't think... If WWE would do something like this, we would eviscerate them for it. Let's if it, if, say if, if, if WWE did this, right? And it came out the same exact way. I would still enjoy it. But sometimes WWE tends to do things... Like, like to me, they did the Cinematic stuff way too much. And once, they got, and once they got feedback from it, that was good. Then you get something like the Swamp Fight between Bray and Braun. Too much. You probably shouldn't. You probably don't need to do this a cinematic match anymore. I see here. Now, as long as they don't con- like lean on these musical things, AEW, I'm fine with this. Just because to me it feels special because it's different. To me, the cinematic stuff felt special because it was different. But then once you get to the Money in the Bank, I think by the time I got to the Money in the Bank match, I was done after that. I was like, all right, that's cool. I think it needs to be done now though. Um, and they still continue on with it. You had the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders and 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 something that was never even a match, but just really, really weird. Um, Same thing with the the, the Swamp Fight. This, to me, I think think this will be standalone. Um, And I don't know where where they're going, which is why I'm even more intrigued. Um, So, anyways, that was clear. If I can come up, if I can do a segment every week like this, I will. This is clearly the most divisive thing of the week. And I enjoyed it, but um, like I said, as long as they don't lean onto this stuff, then it's fine. I just don't see them doing that though. Um, but anyways, uh, Britt Baker was in action, and I love Tony. It's Twenty seconds into this match, I'm watching the match. I'm sitting there watching, and Tony Jones like, Ugh. and he calls. He comes out, calls her a a a deferment bitch or something, whatever you use. I, I I couldn't stop freaking laughing. I was like, twenty seconds in. I, I said this last week. I love the dynamic between Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone. Um, it's clear he's in, he enjoys it too, and she enjoys it. Um, but this was an all right match that she, that she had. I like, I like her. I like. I always love the, the curb stop finisher when they have the arms behind the back and they have no way to defend themselves. I loved it. Obviously, the AEW women's division needs a little more respect. Uh, I'm sure they'll get it. I'm sure that as they add more women, they will definitely get it. Especially as these barriers break down between the. Uh, the countries and people are allowed to drive, uh, drive, fly over. I think we'll see things get better. I truly believe they will. Um, the young bucks have won the chance, as we all saw coming, to get a shot at the AEW tag team titles. I'm so looking forward to that. They got beat up afterwards by FTR, and I believe it was Matt Jackson. Yeah, it was Matt who ended up getting pilmanized. Um, I, I was, I got confused by this too because the bucks have been heels. They've been super kicking everybody, and all of a sudden they get. I don't know if they were trying to get us to feel sorry for these people, um, but I didn't feel sorry because <laughs> they, they they do they they super kick Tony Schiavone for no reason. So I don't know, um, but they will get the shot at full gear. I am looking forward to that match. Um, let's hit this AEW title tournament, number one contender tournament. At the finals are going to happen at full gear. 
I've already called my finals of Hangman Page and Kenny Omega and Kenny Omega uh, winning. By the way, Kenny Omega's new interest just proves he's a cleaner. It's overdone, over-exaggerated from Justin Roberts. He came in and believe I believe Joe, Joe Janela was in contact with someone with co- that had COVID-19. So they pulled him off the show. Sonny Kiss got in and it wasn't a match. He got a knee strike and a quick uh, one-winged angel for the win. Uh Warlow and Jungle Boy was more competitive than I expected, but I think that's the I think Jungle Boy is like being positioned as the one two three kid of AEW. Um, Phoenix and uh, Pentagon I know his name is Pentagon, but I can't pronounce his, his new name. I uh, had a war, probably the best match in the first round, and uh, Phoenix won. But I believe this week's AEW is taped in the spoilers, and if you don't want to know this, don't know. It's not giving anything away, but um, an injury happened apparently to Phoenix. So Pentagon is actually taking his spot in the semifinals against Omega. Um, so that's a spoiler. It's not giving anything away. I didn't, I didn't say any. I, I know who won, but I'm not going to say anything. Um, but yeah, so your current final four after that was Omega, Phoenix, Hangman, and Warlow. But technically the final four is Hangman versus Warlow. Omega versus Pentagon. Um, and I'm still sticking with my finals, obviously. Um, like I said, this whole thing is built up. Once I saw that, once I saw that elaborate entrance on uh, on Wednesday, I was like, he's definitely winning this tournament. <laughs> he is definitely winning. Um, yeah, I think three good promo packages from one from John Moxley, two from Eddie Kingston. Technically, one from Eddie Kingston was like from the week before, but it was. It was still good. Eddie Kingston is just a great talker. He's losing this match, but he's a great talker. Uh, so I quit match, by the way. Uh, John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston at Full Gear. That will be the main event. So um, let's now shift back to WWE. We'll hit, let's hit Raw. Uh, <sighs> speaking of divisive or just outright stupid, uh, Retribution. We start the show off where the Phoenix and Alexa Bliss are in the ring. Retribution crowds the ring. So now I'm like, all right, are they about to pull the, the Nexus on everybody? So Retribution then gets in the ring. Bliss and Wyatt are not selling this at all. They're, they're holding hands, not even moving. And, and and once Ali puts his hand up and point, and he's about to point to, hey, get him. Lights go out. Lights come back on. Bliss and Fiend are gone. So then all of a sudden, the Hurt Business comes out. Fight lead, uh, fight ends up leading to a match. Retribution loses their very first match as a full faction. Uh, I believe it was T-Bar who tapped. Um, I don't know what this means. I don't know if this is supposed to build to a Survivor Series style match and, and Bray's going to be on the Hurt Business's team. Because um, there was a Firefly Funhouse later on, which Alexa Bliss, Alexa Bliss made her uh, debut on. And Bray is sitting there saying, hey, I made some new friends. And you see clips of Retribution. And so it's clear that's the next feud he's in. I don't know how this does any favors for Retribution. I have no clue how this does. Because after the match, once they tap, Bray comes back out as a fiend, gives the mandible claw to several people. And except I think the only person that came out of this looking somewhat decent 
with Ali, but I, I don't know where any of this goes. I'm, I'm, I want to say I'm curious because I'm, I'm obviously I'm a fan of Ali. I'm a fan of the Fiend. A fan of the Hurt Business. I just don't think this leads anywhere good for a retribution. Now, also, if there is a uh, Survivor Series match, I guess a ten-person tag match elimination. How do you get rid of the Fiend? Don't tell me about count out. How do you? How, if you're gonna let Retribution win, are you gonna have them pin the Fiend? I think the only people to, to pin the Fiend are Goldberg, right? I think that's it. And we all know that was still a mistake. So I, this wasn't a good start. And then this whole thing stretched out with all characters. It just shows you how bad the th- this three-hour format is. And it's crazy to think at one point in time, me as a wrestling fan couldn't get enough. So three hours wouldn't have been enough uh, to consume of the product. But I feel bad for these guys, man. Like, even later, like Ali cuts a great promo. And then, but this is after they lose. All this stuff. So I guess it's supposed to be like him saying that all hurt business uh, theme all made a mistake, right? He admits to being a SmackDown hacker, which we kind of already knew. And he's saying that he's going to release secrets and all this stuff. It was a great promo. Like, I even love when he said this company put me on the show because they didn't know how to make money for a guy named Mustafa Ali. Like, great line. And, but it just, just felt stretched out and like, why lose? I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, Hurt Business has only been beating up on two people for the last five months. It wouldn't have hurt them to lose this match, but I, I don't, I, I need to see more. The same way I didn't overreact when they had the release, the reveal, I thought the reveal was stupid, but I said, clearly they're missing a leader. So there's, there's more to this. Obviously there's more to this. I'm going to give this thing until Survivor Series, see what they do. If they go to Survivor Series and they completely nexus this thing, I don't even, I, I don't even know what to say. So, uh, that was a lot of segments in SmackDown. Lana, who won the battle roll just two weeks ago, got put through a table for the fifth time by Nia Jax. By the way, she lost her match to Asuka in like two minutes. She tapped out. Apparently... Vince McMahon is trying to push her as a mega baby face, and this is how he's building sympathy for her. He's building memes for her. Memes and gifs. Or gifs, however you want to say it. That's just my opinion. AJ Styles has a brand new bodyguard. Anyone who's watched Raw Underground has seen this guy. I can't pronounce his name. I'm not even going to try. He's a tall black guy. So, I don't know why he needs a bodyguard and why he needs a bodyguard. Why wouldn't it be Joseph Park? Those two had great chemistry on SmackDown. I don't think you need to do that. Now, in the Wrestling Observer, apparently this guy, uh, what Meltzer said, uh, this guy is not a great worker, but they want to keep, but they want him on television. But he's not a great worker whatsoever. So um, they're trying to just get him exposure, get him to be uh, the heavy. Um, we all know AJ Styles doesn't need that. We're going to see how this goes. I don't think it's going anywhere, personally. Um, if this guy can't work well already, I don't think being a heavy is going to work. I think you just need to send him back to the training center. Performance center, excuse me. Um, but that's just me. Um, Titus O'Neil 
try to join the Hurt Business. And I'm sorry, this was too funny. I think it was a mistake because I think Tyson could be a great manager. But when he went to M- but MVP's a manager, so it doesn't matter, right? Um, when he went to him, he said, hey, we can do business. He shook MVP's hand. MVP said, yeah, we can do business. He said, that's, that's, that's what's up, man. He was like, no, no, we can do business. And then they beat the crap out of him. I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, because like I said, I don't think he could be utilized as a ring talent because he's just not that good, Tyson Neal. And the manager spot is really MVP spot. So you don't need two managers. So I, I, I get it. You know, and to be honest with you, I don't need to see MVP in the ring anymore. Um, especially when you have talent like Cedric Alexander, Bobby Lashley, and Shelton Benjamin, who's ageless. You know, so, uh, but this was, I'm sorry, I, I, I did chuckle. I, I saw this and I was like, that's messed up. Um, now, speaking of something else that doesn't make any sense, right? The Riot Squad and Otis. I know Otis appeared under a mask as Gor- Fado Gordito or whatever the bleep it was called. Just two weeks after the draft, or a week after the draft, they're already on, they're already switching this. I'm not surprised. I just had to bring this up. They're, the Riot Squad and Otis are technically property of SmackDown. Okay. And then guess what? On SmackDown, guess what? There's a segment where The Miz and Morrison are on SmackDown. I, I don't get these people. I don't get these people at all. That's it. I just want to say that. And finally, in the main event, which was a two-minute main event, Braun Strowman beats Keith Lee after a low blow. Keith Lee, I wouldn't be... I know some people are going to hate me for saying this. You guys are going to really hate me for saying this. Because I don't want to talk to... I don't want to talk this into existence. But I think it's happening. I think Keith Lee's joining Retribution. He has a different tone. Even in his his, his his speech is different. He gets up, he kicks Braun in, in the penis, which I don't think was a heel turn at all. I don't think that's a heel turn for the for the record. I think he was just so he had so much respect for Braun and for Braun and one of the low blow. He was like, really, dude? I thought you were this and you were this. You're like you were this low, you know? Um, but when he said. Monster Meat Dragon. My first thought was, ah, I can see so see this in Retribution. And I don't want to talk that into existence. I really don't. But uh, I have a feeling, my friends, we are... Uh, I have a feeling we're going to see that. <laughs> I'm so sorry to say that out loud. Um, let's get to SmackDown now. Then we'll wrap it up. So... Bailey was forced to sign a contract. I still don't think legally that ha- that's how that works. But uh, chair was wrapped around her neck, and Sasha said, "Sign it. I won't also want to go." And she still ended up abusing her afterwards after she signed it. So the match is officially official now. Uh, you have Bailey, Sasha, Hell in a Cell. We will have three Hell in a Cells. I think for the first time ever on one show. I am interested to see how these go. Usually, Hell in Cells go between 15 to 30 minutes. I don't see... I don't see this match main event. Well, it depends on what you do in the other two matches, right? So, if... I go for my prediction, which is not really a prediction. Reigns is obviously winning his match. Do you want the destruction of Jey Uso to happen at the end of the show since you had that happen last pay-per-view? I guess it depends on how bad it is. Now, here's my thing. 
How can you transition from that destruction to another match? We'll see. Um, Drew McIntyre versus Randy. I just think I think both the heels are winning their top championships. If Drew beats Randy Orton again, I don't see how or I don't know where Orton goes from there, which is why I don't see him losing. Um, obviously, I can, I can be completely wrong. Drew's been kept extremely strong. I don't think he should lose that belt to Randy Orton. I just don't see why they would give him another match if he's going to lose again. You know, because he's when's the last time Orton won a one-on-one match? A big-time one-on-one match. I guess it was against Edge, right? I don't know. It depends on what you do in those two matches, but we already know Reigns is winning, right? And to me, the the, the indicator will be because that match is not main event. Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. I think I can see I can see that match starting the show, right? That Hell in a Cell starting the show. If Randy Orton wins that match, I think Sasha and Bailey are in the main event. With Sasha giving the the good good feeling, go home feeling. If Drew McIntyre wins, Jey Uso's destruction is going to be the last match on that card. So we we will see. But yeah, I don't think that's legal. I don't think of legally forced someone to sign the contract and it still holds up. Um, we I thought we we're finally going to finally going to get a conclusion to this stupid Otis uh, feud with Miz and Morrison. They had two segments called Law and Otis, which were I guess funny. Uh, whatever. They weren't bad, uh, but um, it ends with, well, first of all, JBL is the judge. Uh, Ron Simmons is the plaintiff. Oh, excuse me, not the plaintiff. Listen to me. Uh, the bailer, or whatever it's called. And then you got Teddy Long making a, a, an appearance as the person that does the typing. <laughs> and, um, which is all good. It's always good to see Teddy Long. Um and Miz pretty much paid off JBL to have a match at Money in the Bank, where it will be Otis defending the Money in the Bank briefcase versus the Miz. I don't think. Do you give it to the Miz? Why would you give it to the Miz? I just don't. I think if you're gonna take that off of him, give it to someone else that's actually gonna win. I think that helps. Now, this this is a, this 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 does make certain things intriguing, I guess. Even though Miz has not been treated like a main eventer in a very very long time. Um, I guess you could essentially have, let's say, Sasha and Bailey go on first, even though I don't think that match is going on first. I think Drew and uh, freaking uh, Randy are going on first. But, hypothetically, there's a couple scenarios here, right? It's not going to happen. But let's say if Drew and Randy go on first, right? Otis could cash in. Now I, know, I don't think I, now I know like he's technically SmackDown, but they, these people don't care. But I think if like let's say Sasha and Bailey are first, and then you have Otis and Miz, and Miz wins the Money in the Bank briefcase, then I can see Drew and Randy, Drew winning, and then Miz cashing in. Why would you put the belt on Miz right now? I just don't think you do that because he's cold. But I think in a way to get rid of the, the briefcase for the rest of the year. Um, so I don't know who wins this match, but to me, to me, that first match is really the indicator of, in my opinion, of how the night's going to go. And I truly think they have to, there's no way that the women should be opening the match, the, the night, or Jay or Roman Reigns should be opening the night in Hell and Cell. It has to be Randy and Drew. That is, is the coldest of these three Cell matches, in my opinion. Um, that's just my opinion, though. 
but at least we should get a conclusion to this. I'm over it. They've been they're just as bad as the Hurt Business and Apollo Crews. So just saying. Uh Roman Reigns gets you no, know, gets beat down a little bit from Jay. Uh, this story has been great. Uh Reigns gets up afterwards. Paul Heyman tries to hand him the championship. He's like, no. Hand me the mic. Paul hands him the mic. And he's like, look here. If you can make me say I quit, I can I can respect that, I can deal with that. But when I make you say I quit, you and your brother, you're, you're out of the family, I'm turning my back on you, you're done. These are the consequences. I think they're going to be a lot more severe than that. You can kick me out of the family if you're not going to kick my ass. And he's going to kick Jay's ass all up and down that cell. And let's not forget, Jay Uso is no stranger to the cell. He has had a classic. I don't think his cousin, is Reigns, has ever had a classic Hell in a Cell match. Jay has had one with the Usos and his brother. So Jay is not a stranger. And yes, I did say that. I will stand by that. That is a classic hell in a cell match. Those guys put each other through a beatdown. And they won, by the way. So I'm looking forward to that. This is obviously the thing I'm looking forward to the most. This is the reason I want to do a review on the show, on the pay-per-view. And like I said, if I, t- if I do do it, it may come in two parts. So you may get... I think it's going to be episode 8. This is week's episode 8. And I think we'll get episode 8 part 1 and then episode 8 part 2 because I'm recording them at two different times. We'll see. Um, Daniel Bryan is on the Kevin Owens show. And Kevin Owens is trying to convince him to be a tag team. And he says, believe it or not, I've never been tag team champion. And Daniel Bryan says, well, you betray a lot of friends. <laughs> Daniel Bryan to me is like the average man that just turns into a superhero every now and then. Um, and that was a great burn. It does look like, though, we have a new makeshift tag team in the, in the, in the making um, with Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens teaming with the tag team champions, uh, the Street Profits, to take on Bobby Roode, Dolph Ziggler, Nakamura, and Cesaro. Uh, the good the, the good guys did win. Um, but... This was a this was a fun segment, you know, and I'm I'm I wish they wouldn't have broken up so many real tag teams, but if this is their plan for Owens and Bryan, and I'm assuming I'm assuming this is gonna lead to a match at WrestleMania. I know we're, I just don't I personally don't see another path for Owens and and Bryan at WrestleMania for for a good match. I can see these guys winning the tag team championships and then breaking up at WrestleMania or before WrestleMania and then having a one-on-one match. I don't think we've seen that match, Owens and Bryan, um, one-on-one on a big stage. We've seen them in a tag team match where it was Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon in Daniel Bryan's return match against uh, Sami Zayn and uh, Kevin Owens. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm... Here's, this, is the, this is the thing people have to remember. This is, this is around the time of the year where you start seeing certain things bubble up to that WrestleMania build. Um, it becomes clearer, obviously, after the Royal Rumble. But you see little hints here and there. Um, otherwise, I don't know why you're putting them together. Um, I would assume you're putting them together so they can have a one-on-one match at WrestleMania. You know? But we'll see. Um, Shorty G... That name is one of the dumbest names ever. He loses to Lars Sullivan, and he promptly, promptly quits and says he's no longer going to be Shorty G. He is Chad Gable, and the Olympian is supposedly back. 
What that means, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, he gets some kind of push. They can use him. You know, who's, who's Sami Zayn wrestling next? Why wouldn't that be a tremendous Intercontinental Championship? I would love to see Sami Zayn versus Chad Gable for the Intercontinental title. I'm not saying he has to win it, but why not? So, I don't know. So And last but not least, another place I have no clue where they're going. This is another feud that will never end. Seth Rollins versus Murphy versus the Mysterios. It's a three-way triangle of why won't you end. Uh, uh, Murphy and Seth Rollins have a match. Murphy loses. Rollins beats him down. Aaliyah's in the back begging her father and brother to go out there and help. She says, fine, you guys won't help? I'll go help him. She runs out there and Rollins just like looks at her, tormenting her. And the next thing you know, Dominic comes out. Dominic gets beat down by Seth. And then uh, Ray comes out. Rollins runs away. Um, they need to wrap this up. Because I don't know where this is going. It's To me, if I had to take a guess, the best place this is going is that Murphy gets taken in to by the Mysterios because they want to make Aaliyah happy. And then as a big swerve, and Aaliyah goes to the dark side and turns on her family. That's the only thing that can happen out of this. The only thing, in my opinion. So, um, anyways, that was, to me, the best of SmackDown, the best of everything else. Um, one thing I'll say before we go to this week, or at least if this, if this is part one, and I don't know yet, I have not decided yet, but if this is part one, this is how part one is going to end. NXT, um, there was a big reveal in the tag team title match. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be the Brazongo defending the tag team championships versus the UE. And both members of the UE got beat down backstage. So all of a sudden, Lorcan and Birch go to O'Reilly, and O'Reilly gives his blessing to them to go take the title match because he doesn't know he, who did this to his friends, and he wants to find out. And so it's Lorcan and Birch versus Brazongo. They won the tag team championships thanks to a masked individual who reveals himself to be Pac McAfee. And then he mocks the UE. But to me, that that's... We kind of saw that coming, right? We knew that Pat McAfee wasn't done with the UE. Why did Kyle O'Reilly give him the blessing? Who, and who is he to just give a tag team championship match to two guys who don't do the, didn't deserve it? Isn't that one Regal's job? Like, to me, that was the most intriguing thing. Like, is O'Reilly a part of this? Is this him breaking away? You know? Um, I don't know. Um, just because we had one peaceful breakup of a group, you know, the New Day... Doesn't mean it's going to be the normal. I can see Yui breaking up and doing it in grand fashion. So, is Kyle O'Reilly the one paying people off? Was it Pat McAfee? I'm interested to see where this goes. That was a show-closing angle. Um, but, yeah, that's how we're going to end it here this week. Um, hmm. You know what? F it. Why not? I will do a review. So, we'll end part one of episode eight. Right here. So on Monday, you're going to see two episodes drop. It's going to be part one and episode eight. This will be part one. Episode eight, part two will be the review of WWE Hell in a Cell. I will see you guys Monday. Also, Wednesday of this week, Jonathan Esther's back. We recorded this a few weeks ago. We call this episode the MCU Effect. We talk about a lot of different things that happen in MCU. When we recorded this, a lot of this news broke that week or that day, actually. So we talked talked about it immediately. So I'm just kind of getting it out. 
but it's all good. So anyways, uh, check out part one, part two, uh, which will be just extra content, I guess. And then check out the MCU effect on Wednesday.